I think of the coming of Christ, the birth, I always think with it the prophecies. So many prophecies announcing his coming. Well, tonight we're talking about the prophets. The prophets weren't joking. That's the title of this evening's message. And we shouldn't be either when we're conveying the message of Jesus Christ. Daniel, in his ninth chapter, tells us about a prayer he made. In verse 3 of Daniel 9, he said, Then I set my face toward the Lord God and made requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes, which means he's very serious. And then he continues, and he says, We have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And there Daniel, of course, showing deference to the prophets because they spoke what God told them to say. Who would want a lesson on Second Kings or, or anything in the Old Testament, with maybe exception of Genesis, Rather, who would not want a lesson? What Christian would not want any lesson on any part of the Bible that they could get? We've been considering Josiah, that righteous king, and of course, he was killed in action last chapter. His son, Jehoiakim, comes to the throne. We'll talk much about him this evening. But the people overall did not catch the vision of Josiah. Many of them faked it. And, of course, that did not go well for the nation. It went very poorly because Josiah was the last good king. The next four would bring in the destruction of Jerusalem. They did not catch his vision, nor did they heed the warnings of the prophets. Lessons that hopefully we get a chance to talk to unbelievers about. In this chapter, we'll talk about the reign of Jehoiakim and then his son, Jehoiachin, and Jerusalem's capture, and then Zedekiah, the last of the Judean kings, will come to the throne. Next chapter, Jerusalem falls. Now, this conflict between Judah and Babylon that leads to the downfall of the kingdom really begins with this king. Three years earlier from where we're going to start this evening, his father was killed in action, Josiah, in about 609 B.C., before the coming of Christ. We're going to start at about 606 B.C., and it's always about. And he is, this king, Jehoiakim, he's going to submit initially to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Then he's going to rebel He's going to pay for that. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to deploy troops from surrounding nations and harass Judah and bring misery to the people. And while the Jews that were idolatrous were calling on Yahweh to help them while they continued in their idolatry, and Jeremiah dealt with all that mostly, these judgments were directly from Yahweh. They were from God on the people called to be God's people because they weren't behaving like God's people. It is the beginning of woes for Jerusalem, this this chapter. And Israel, in her history, has some unfulfilled prophecy to go through, as we are here right now. There's still more prophecy to be fulfilled, and it's going to be terrible for them. We call it the Great Tribulation, Jesus said, It will be tribulations such as the world has never known. Well, verse 1, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Poor Jeremiah, that righteous man. This is, Jeremiah was probably... Of all the prophets, he was one that got to see many of his prophecies fulfilled, especially when he pronounced death on someone. No less than four people died when Jeremiah said, you know what, you're going to die next month. (laughs) That'd be it. 
You would think, you would think the people would say, this guy is the guy to be lined up with. No, they tried to kill him instead. Well, he's stuck. This righteous man is stuck with Josiah's sons. Isn't that often the case in life? You're stuck with somebody else's child who doesn't want to behave. And there's Jehoaz. His name will be changed to Shalom by Egypt. Jehoiakim. And then Zedekiah. And Jehoiachin. There's a bunch of them. All of them rotten. Now, Jehoiaz, before Jehoiakim becomes king, he rules for three months. But Israel is the dominant force in Jerusalem, and they take him away. And then the Babylonians, of course, enter the picture, but Jehoiakim is now on the throne. Now, just to get ahead of it, well, so we can briefly touch on it when we get to it later in the chapter, not far not deep into it, but Jehoiakim, he dies in chains. Nebuchadnezzar will come to Jerusalem and have him cuffed to take him back to Babylon. But he's going to die or he is executed. It's not explicitly stated what happens after he is chained, except Jeremiah said, well, this is what's going to happen to his body. And so he's, uh, we, we pick this, uh, he, he dies in chains, he's, his body is treated like a donkey, unworthy of any association with Yahweh, whatever. Second Chronicles 36, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him and bound him in bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. That, but Jeremiah had prophesied earlier. Therefore, thus says Yahweh concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, his glory. Jeremiah is saying, they're not going to miss this guy. They're not going to say, oh, man, well, how are we going to do it? When Uzziah died, it left this void in Judah. In Isaiah's prophecy, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, I lifted up. Well, that's not the case with Jehoiakim. And then the prophecy continues, verse 19 of Jeremiah 22. He shall be buried with the burial of a donkey, dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's how they treated that king. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says they threw him over the wall. There's more. I'll come to that in a minute, how his body laid out in, in, at night and in, in day. For the, the scavengers had their way with it. But continuing here, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. This is the first of the last three sieges of Jerusalem. Because others had come. The Assyrians had come 116 years earlier, and, and they were chased away. Uh, but th- these are the last three, and they're all Babylonian sieges. This drama will play out for 20 years before the city is finally destroyed. And God is working through the prophets all the time. He had already been working day and night through the prophets. And they weren't, they weren't joking with them what they were saying. And then just now it's coming to, to roost. It's going to happen. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, he founded the Babylonian Empire as it was known it was very, you know, the occult, very spiritual. The Chaldees, they were into the mysticism, and the nation had become known as the Chaldeans also. And that's a spiritual element. And uh, that's how they are chiefly known in Scripture, as the Chaldeans. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, of course, succeeded his father, and he brought Babylon to the height of what it was. We remember in Daniel, he's boasts about, this is the great Babylon that I built, and God dealt with him on that. But he was king for 43 years. And there probably was no other king known in history that had the power that Nebuchadnezzar had. He could just order death for anybody, anytime. And not all kings had that kind of power. Well, Jerusalem assaulted over this 20-year period by Babylon because they're subjecting the Jews to the Babylonian authority. And the kings would... The Judean kings would resist because they were godless and they were carnal and they were wicked and just spiritually moronic. So uh, here's one timeline. I'll I'll go over this again in a little bit more detail later. But 
uh, about 605 years before the coming of Christ, Babylon conquers Jerusalem. They had already moved the Assyrian Empire out of the way, and they, they kept Egypt in its place. Daniel was a youth when the first siege took place, and they took captives off to Babylon. With Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, they also went. Eight years later, after Daniel's in Babylon with, with them, the Babylonians come again because the Judean kings, Jehoiakim this time, was, would not submit. Ezekiel is then taken away in that wave of captives, and he is 25 years old, Ezekiel is, when that takes place. Eleven years later, the Babylonians come again, and they destroy Jerusalem, and the temple is lost. All of it avoidable. The prophets were not joking because God was not joking. This was not just some religious exercise. This was the God of Genesis 1, who created everything we know out of nothing, unlike anyone else. It says here in verse 1, And Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. He was a servant king to Babylon, but not a king who serves. And that's what the, Jew, the Jewish kings were supposed to be shepherds. They were supposed to serve the people and look out for them while they served God. And most of them did not. Then he turned and rebelled against him. Well, because he hoped Egypt, you know, just sort of... Selling out one tyrant for another. He thought Egypt would, would protect him from Babylon. Well, who's going to protect you from Egypt? God wanted to protect you from everything. But you didn't believe him. And Jeremiah later warned the last Judean king against this behavior and this profound this, this satire and prophecy rolled into one. I want to read some of it. It's Jeremiah 37 verses 1 through 7. We'll just take 1 through 10. We'll just take, well, let me just give, give, it, give you the, the punchline. Jeremiah says, don't think because the Egyptians have shown up and the Babylonians have gone away that they're going to stay away. They're coming back. And if you were to defeat their entire army, the Babylonian army, their wounded would rise up and burn the city down. That's God saying, there's no way you're going to stop this. So I'll take those two verses. Thus says Yahweh, Jeremiah 37, 9, Do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them. They would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. Well, that is just, you see why Jeremiah was so hated. He's telling them the truth that they deserve this judgment. But no, no, we don't. And this is when they came to Jeremiah to ask him to pray for them. The insanity that belongs to the rejection of Jesus Christ in human beings. When a person rejects the gospel, they become spiritually moronic. And that can be accompanied by a, a host of other vices and attributes that range from everything from violent to just um, hysterical and, and just insane. We're looking at it unfold today. Well, this is, this is interesting, the superiority of God, the sovereignty of God over everything. The Davidic line was going to be preserved. The Assyrians wanted to take it away, just kill it completely. Because the Assyrian policy was to amalgamate a, con a conquered people, to have them assimilate into uh, various cultures, so they no longer had their own identity. And they did that to the northern kingdom. They came and conquered, they took all the people away, and they just mixed them amongst other people, and they brought other people into their land. And so by doing this, you divided the people, you took their culture, their religion, and their identity, and they could not get together against you. They're too busy trying to survive and fend off other cultures, and they would intermarry. 
Well, if the Assyrians conquered Jerusalem, there would be no Davidic line because they would have done that to Judah. But God stopped that through Isaiah the prophet and the angel that came and wiped out the army of the Assyrians. The Babylonian slash Medo-Persian policies were different. They did not come and wipe out a people. They would come and take them uh, prisoner, captive, but they allowed them to retain their culture. And we see that in Daniel when he said, you know, we don't want to eat this meat. Give us a chance and, and you know, let us eat uh, vegetables for a while. And, and they did well until they were able to establish themselves. So that policy of the Babylonian Persian Empire preserved the culture, thereby preserving the Judaic line so that when Zerubbabel, as recorded in the book of Ezra, comes back to repatriate Jerusalem, the Davidic line is intact. Uh, not only in Zerubbabel, who is a descendant from Solomon's line, but also from another son of Solomon, Nathan. So Christ comes and he has two credentials. He has the one from the, the royal line of Solomon through Joseph, and uh, then he has the line through Mary, which is the, the prophetic line. And so his total authority, if any of the Pharisees wanted to look it up, there was a short walk to the temple, and they could have looked this up and said, I'll be, he's a descendant of King David, and he's doing miracles, and he's preaching everything in line with Moses. Maybe he is the Messiah, but they wouldn't give him the satisfaction. They wouldn't even bother. They were so ignorant of the scriptures. They said, search and see that if any prophet has come out of, Nin, uh, out of Na uh, well, Nahum's area. Uh, and, and they did, uh, Nahum the prophet. Well, verse 2 now. Uh, and Nahum's area is because I can't remember. So it just gets Nahum's area. You can look it up. Uh, anyway, verse 2. Then Yahweh sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, bands of the people of Ammon, prime account users, <laughs> Amazon prime account users. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of Yahweh, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets, who were not joking. What do you think they're telling you these things for? You think they're, you know, some people just hate whatever nation they're born in. They just feel they have to criticize the nation they're born in. And then they get caught smuggling drugs and through customs and they go to jail and they get sentenced for nine years. And, and, you know, after taking a knee to the national anthem and all that stuff, and all of a sudden they're begging to come back to America, complaining that they, they weren't fed, they weren't warm. The madness that all comes back to what do you think about Jesus Christ? Well, we're supposed to be part of this. May we pray for opportunities to remove the false ideas about Jesus Christ by preaching the truth of the gospel. Anyway, here, the, the Lord sent these raiding bands. Nebuchadnezzar was never sovereign over earth or anything under God. God is sovereign. This is judgment. So the Lord removed the hedge of protection. Remember, Satan said to God about Job, well, you put a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to him. That's why he's so faithful. He removed that. We'll see how faithful he is. And God said, okay, but you can't kill him. And, of course, Satan lost. And Job suffered. Such is life under the curse, under the sun. But it won't be that way forever. And it's not right now. Job is having a wonderful time. The Lord removed his protection and the surrounding nations sent by the Chaldeans because they were subject to the Chaldeans. And, and they were raiding and enjoying what the loot that they took. Habakkuk the prophet was shown these things. And in his first chapter, he said, I don't want to hear it anymore. This is awful. The Chaldeans, they're going to be the ones coming against us. The prophet said, listen, when they march, they don't move to the left or the right. They are focused. They get their job done. And Habakkuk says, fine, I'll stand my watch. I will be faithful to the Lord. I don't have to like what my orders are. I have to obey them. And then he went on and said, just, they live by faith. We trust in God. Fact, God is, it is his incontestable prerogative to exercise judgment on the wicked 
when he's good and ready and however he wants to do it. That is a fact. And of course, lawless man doesn't want to hear that. It is a fact also that we who believe in the Lord side with him no matter what. We don't have to like it. We don't have to understand it. We just side with him. Mary illustrates that for us. Do what he says. That's what, <laughs> you at the, the wedding feast at Cana and we're out of, you know, we're out of wine. What does that have to do with me? Uh, do what he says. It's just an incredible moment of human interaction. Mom, kind of a, kind of a moment. She could have said, don't you know that I and the Father are one? You're just a created being. But he doesn't do anything like that. He's too much of, too magnanimous, too special, too high and lifted up, and never petty. God is never petty. He had a chance right there at the wedding to be petty. Out of wine, I'm out of here. He doesn't do any of that. Anyway, the bands of Syrians, the Moabites, the Moabites and the people of Ammon, uh, these, on orders from Babylon, these are Lot's descendants. They're cousins. And uh, they, idol lovers, attacking idol lovers. According to the word of Yahweh, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. And so you see the title. The prophets, again, are not kidding around. The time of prophetic fulfillment, prophetic fulfillment is here, and it is it is coming out slowly. It's, it's, it's you know we talk. I talked about the three sieges of Jerusalem. They're, they're still getting. There's a remnant now. There's a remnant of Jews that are faithful. Daniel, Ezekiel, Azariah. You know there there are many of them that are faithful. But they have to suffer this nonsense. There's just not enough of them. Ezekiel writes about this in Ezekiel 19. I mentioned he's 25, Ezekiel, when he gets taken as a, as a hostage or a captive. But he's five years later, he's called into prophetic ministry. And then he just, you know, <laughs> cuts loose. So uh, Ezekiel 19, then the nation said against him for the provinces on every side and spread their net over him. He was trapped in their pit. And so he's using metaphor to say Judah the kingdom of Judah is trapped in a net and, and there's nothing they can do about it. Because there were those that were captives with Ezekiel. You know, let's have an uprising. We can still go back. And he says, that ain't happening. You people don't even deserve it. You're going to be here. Anyway, uh, then thus is in Jeremiah's letter to the captives. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace, to give you a future and a hope. Build gardens. <laughs> have a good time there. Because you're not coming back. Uh, that would be for your descendants. Verse 3, Surely at the commandment of Yahweh, this came upon Judah to remove, from the, uh, remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all he had done. Verse 4, And also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which Yahweh would not pardon. So the... The historian is saying to the generations reading this, none of this was an accident. None of this was just, oh, the Babylonians just built a bigger military. No, this was all Yahweh's doing because of man's doing. Manasseh, before he was saved, he caused irreparable damage. We covered this. It is possible to cause grief before you get saved. Consider Paul in the stoning of Stephen. Uh, so you know, Paul gets saved, but God used that guilt, <laughs> that those flashbacks to uh, have Paul become the tiger of the faith that he became. Uh, anyway, Manasseh, his evil influence, influence along with the people's pleasure in that influence. And then there it is. It wasn't that we just got a wicked king. You know, we've had some wicked presidents, we have and had, and you have just this extraordinary number of people supporting the evil they vote for, that they, they try to push forward. It is madness. Well, um, Israel's kings, they became tyrannical murderers. Jeremiah, how to deal with this, points it out. Anyway, verse 4 says, he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. There's the tyranny, then there's reign of terror. Uriah the prophet was killed 
not during Manasseh's reign, later Jehoiakim, this present king, and they tried to kill Baruch and Jeremiah too, and they couldn't get them, but they killed others. And this, their continuous evil made it impossible for God to bypass the judgment. God pardoned the sins of Manasseh who repented, but not the sins of those who imitated him and upheld the evil that he brought in and repented not. And so if the people did not truly catch Josiah's vision for righteousness, then they would not escape the judgment. If they wouldn't catch the vision of Josiah's righteousness, then they would catch the wrath of God. Verse 5, and that's true now. I mean, if you don't receive the gospel, you, then the alternate, what is the alternative? Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim, all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And you could add, and also in Jeremiah, because Jeremiah has a lot of interaction with this monster. Among the recorded atrocities of this Jehoiakim, uh, the, some of the most remarkable, just three I'll name, of course, his execution of Uriah the prophet, who, who said the same things that Jeremiah was saying. The nation's going to fall. God's going to judge us. And he, he escaped to Egypt. To Egypt, they sent their, their hitmen. They brought him back, and they killed him. And the Bible tells us that God hid Jeremiah and Baruch from Jehoiakim and his henchmen. He, this king Jehoiakim, destroyed the copy of Jeremiah's prophecy in a fit of anger. He took out his knife and threw it in the fire. And Jeremiah says, that's right, I got a copy. <laughs> it's like he's such a knucklehead. Do you think I came in here? Do you think I sent this letter in here with, without a copy? Anyway, uh, and of course, there were repeated attempts to kill Jeremiah and Baruch. And um, that's in Jeremiah 26 and, and Jeremiah 36. Verse 6 now of 2 Kings 24. So Jehoiakim rested with his father. Then Jehoiachin, his son, reigned in his place. Well, if you're trying to find some association so you can remember the difference, there's not. You just have to remember one is Kim, the other is Chin. Uh, the Chin comes after the Kin. Uh, you know, the Kim, rather. So, anyway. And, and just think, Joya Kim's not his given name, <laughs> so you get into more problems. Uh, and same with Jehoiah Chin, who has three names. And that's going to be exciting. We'll get to that in just a moment. So it says he rested from life on earth. But we know he didn't rest from life after earth. And there is life after earth. There's eternal life, and there's the lost life that continues nonetheless. So brief review of the comments from verse 1. He died in chains, this Jehoiakim, with no lamentation, body treated like a donkey. It's more graphic when you use the old King James language because they don't use the word donkey. They have a shorter word. Anyway, they cast him beyond the gates of Jerusalem, Jeremiah 36. This is, this is what I said I was going to read about it later in a little more detail. God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. His dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. His bloated carcass. This is the commentary God has on this man. And you want to say to the unbeliever, listen, God is not joking around. He didn't die on the cross so you could, you know, thumb your nose at him. Isaiah 48, 2. There is no peace, says Yahweh, for the wicked. So it says he rested with his fathers. It's not the rest from trouble. That means he's not here anymore. It's a, just a, a figure of speech. Then Jehoiachin, his son reigned in his place, still in verse 6. Now he reigns for three months and ten days. They couldn't take him anymore. This king is known by three names, as I mentioned. Jehoiachin, Yahweh establishes. Yachaniah, a variant of that. And then the satire from Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet calls him Kaniah. He refuses to attach Yah, Yahweh, Yah Kaniah, to his name. So he just calls him Kaniah. He blots him out. He puts Jeremiah, you got to love that man because not only was he tough until the stuff he had to put up with, but he had the insight 
to disassociate the wicked from any connection with righteousness. He wouldn't say, yeah, well, but the good thing is, and he said, there's no good thing. This guy is a creep through and through. And, you, you know, you, you, it's the same way with bad doctrine. Don't, you don't, don't give them a courtesy. Yeah, well, you, got, no, you don't have a good point. That's why it's bad doctrine. Anyway, the, this man, Kaniah, Jehoiachin, he insisted on being of no use to God. Well, are you surprised by that? Maybe you were that way one, at one point. As Paul said to the Corinthians, and such were some of you, but God saved you. And this Kaniah, uh, again, it means Yah- his name originally meant Yahweh establishes, and Jeremiah cut the Yahweh part off and just, yeah, he's established, but not by Yahweh. Jeremiah 22, verse 28. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? This was God speaking through Jeremiah. A vessel in which is no pleasure. He's useless to God. Why are they cast out? He and his descendants. And a cast and cast into a land which they do not know. Yeah, because he was carted off to Babylon and stayed in jail there until he was 55. And 37 years of jail time. And the prophet continues, O earth, O earth, O earth, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. I'm done with him. That's what God says. And ultimately, he and his mama are carried off captives to Babylon. God is not joking. He's not playing around. And we, we come to a Bible study and we say, well, we want to hear what the Bible has to say to man, to me. Well, there it is. The prophets are very serious. And when we preach the gospel, we better be very serious about it. It's no joke. I talk about, you know, what does it mean to be cool? Well, one definition in its colloquial form is that um, you are appealing but the other one is that you are acceptable. So you say, oh, no, no, he's cool. Or, man, I want to be cool like that. Well, that second one, though, you know, he's cool. Acceptable. We don't want to be cool to the world. We're not trying to appeal to them on their terms. We want to be appealing through truth on our terms because they're God's terms. But we do not want to gravitate have you, have you met someone, maybe they come from a nice family, and they gravitate? They date people that are bums? It's like, what are you doing? You weren't raised that way. My mom used to say to me a lot, I didn't raise you that way. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it would hurt. I mean, it was like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I should know better. Anyhow, and I really wasn't a bad boy to, to I mean, you know, I was a good boy. At least they didn't catch me, so I retained my good boy status. Anyway, verse 7, And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. And so the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, just as they were a juggernaut, man. Nothing could stop them. Judah had based her hope in Egypt, But God prohibited Judah from uh, being helped. And uh, this was another warning. They didn't get it. It it You say, well, it was wasted on them? Well, it was wasted on some of them, not all of them, and not future generations of individuals. Verse 8, Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem three months. And it doesn't say here 10 days, but it does elsewhere. His, take that long to do the paperwork. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of El Nathan of Jerusalem. Oh, that's a cute name, Nehushta. Hello, little Nehushta. When she was a little baby. Um, verse 9, she's not probably, it means brazen, but not, you know, like brass. It may have been skin tone or something with birth or who knows, but uh, she went to jail with her son. Verse 9 and he did evil in the sight of Yahweh according to all that his father had done. So in that little bit of time, three months, 
He let his colors be seen. And again, Jeremiah 20, uh, no, actually Kings 25 and Jeremiah 52 tell us that he's 37 years a prisoner and he's released not by, by Nebuchadnezzar's son, evil Modak, and uh, he's released when he's 55, but he never sees Jerusalem again. So, to Jeremiah, Jehoiakim, the father of this three-month king, he was not entitled to be treated as a human at death, just a carcass, a commentary. This one, his son, uh, no association with God. He was blotted out. He shall not have a descendant on a throne. He has children, but he's going to be, mark him down as childless. They don't count well, because they were just as wicked. Uh, just, again, the satire of the scripture is meant to jar the conscience. It's not just picking at people. Incidentally, as I may have mentioned, Zerubbabel was his grandson, and he will lead uh, the captives back to Jerusalem, some of them. And that's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. Yeah, I know your grandfather's a creep. <laughs> I blotted him out. Now, how about you? Would you like to serve? Yeah. And uh, it's just wonderful, is it not? Um, and verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged, verse 11. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city, and his servants were besieging it. Now, this is the second siege. Jehoiakim was the first one when he rebelled. Now his son rebels, and this is the second siege. Uh, there's no Assyria or Egypt to help. Babylon has conquered uh, Assyria completely and assimilated into the Babylonian kingdom. And uh, e Egypt is just powerless. Uh, if Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, he could just take all of Egypt. He took enough of it. Isaiah, he writes this in his first chapter, how the faithful city has become a harlot. He's speaking about Jerusalem. 116 years about, 115, like to round it off, 115 years before these events, he writes, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It is full of, uh, it was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. This is, this is what God is dealing with. So as you read the words, there is a history between the lines. And the history is this. The people had become rotten. We're seeing it in our culture compared to previous cultures. Is there one like this one? I mean, it's just completely crazy. But anyhow, coming back to this, Here's a timeline of Israel and Jerusalem's destruction. 722 years before Christ, thereabout, the Assyrians conquer the northern kingdom. They come down to try to take the southern kingdom. They can't do it. The Davidic line is preserved. The 115 years later, uh, give or take, of course, the Babylonians conquer Assyria at the Battle of Carchemish. And then, at that time, King Josiah is killed in action, interfering in world politics without, without the leading of the Lord. He's still a good king, but that's just one of two things we know about him that were sub-par for righteous kings. He multiplied wives. They all did. They're not picking on Josiah. You know, he's a great king. Uh, anyway, uh, then about three or four years later, 605, thereabout, the Babylonians come against Jerusalem when Jehoiakim, the son of jo Josiah, is king. And that's when they take Daniel as a youth. And then uh, about eight years later, they come again. They besiege Jerusalem. Jehoiachin is now the king. Ezekiel at 25 is led away captive. And Jehoiachin is taken captive also. And uh, then Zedekiah will be put on the throne. Then 593, Ezekiel is about 30 years old. And five years a captive, he becomes a public prophet. In 586, Babylon again besieges Jerusalem because Zedekiah 
gets uppity with Babylon. You don't mess with Nebuchadnezzar. You would think he would look out the window and say, let's see, what's happened to Egypt? What's happened to Assyria? What happened to my dad? What happened to my grandfather? You would think. Doesn't do any of that. And he was the weakest of, of the three sons of Josiah. You know, he wanted to help Jeremiah, but then he, you know, well, throw him in jail. I mean, just, just what a nut. Uh, so, and again, Babylon is again, comes, besieges Jerusalem, and destroys it completely, the temple and everything. 538 B.C., about oh, 70 years later, Zerubbabel returns with the repatriates. And so that's a brief timeline. We have still some more here in, in chapter 24, though. In verse 12, then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And so he went out, they went out, to, you know, he says, I want to have a parlay. <laughs> and they come out and they say, you know what, you're not going back into the city. You cuff them. And that's what happened. Jeremiah, of course, prophesied of this moment, and he lived to see it happen. And as I mentioned in the beginning, he may have been, he may have seen more of his prophecies fulfilled than, than any of the Old Testament prophets. Now, that's a clinical observation. I have not documented it yet. I've started, but it's so hard. <laughs> it's really hard. So, anyway, I'll, I'll take this Jeremiah 22. It's a little long. Uh, just anything in Jeremiah is long. It's two words in Jeremiah are long. Anyway, as I live, says Yahweh, though Kaniah, and see, there's Jeremiah at it. He's not going to name him, you know, Jehoiakim or Yaconiah. He's just cut him off. Though Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. Oh, man. God is saying, if you were a pretty ring on my finger, I'd throw you away. That's how bad you are. That's like saying your house is so bad they had to fix it before they condemned it. <laughs> I got that one in fifth grade. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear. The hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So there's Jeremiah before Jehoiakim. Uh, Chin, sorry. Before, before he is taken away, Jeremiah is calling it. And then he lives to see it happen. I'll finish it. So I will cast you out, you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and, you, and there you shall die. So you and your mama. I mean, this is, uh, this is entertaining. <laughs> so for us, not then, Thorough is God. He says, verse 27 of Jeremiah 22, But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? Okay, I read this part earlier. A vessel in which is no pleasure. So that's God's view. Uh, you know, I don't want to ask God what you think of me <laughs> if I'm a bad, if I'm not right with him. But as we get to Second Chronicles 5, we know that the righteousness of Christ is on those who belong to Christ, and it washes away whatever wickedness, all of it, that is there. Anyway, we move on to verse 13, and he carried, uh, 2 Kings 24, verse 13, and he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of Yahweh and the treasures of the king's house, and he cut in pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of Yahweh. Well, of course, this is terrible. How you know this is the, the beautiful temple that they trashed. But the removal of temple treasures always emphasized that the sins of Judah's kings brought harm to God's house. Today, the pastors who depart from the Scripture and stay in the pulpit, bring harm to God's house. The treasures have been taken away. And uh, those who sit there and support it, you know, I think they, um, you would like to think they would think twice about it. 
But some people go to church for, for wine and circus to just have their, carnal, their carnality um, pampered. You know, anyway, I would not want to be a Christian looking for a church today. I just would rather not go through that. Imagine the stuff you got. What are they going to do next? What is, what's the next thing going to come out of that guy's mouth? Or what is not going to come out of their mouth? Um, how come churches, there are no churches that, you know, do the handling of puppies? <laughs> I mean, why does this get to be serpents? Why couldn't you think, you know what, we're going to go in another direction. This morning, we're going to pass this little puppy around. Anyway, somebody would steal him. <laughs> they pocketed the puppy. He's the pocket puppy. Okay. That's my break. It says here in verse 13, as the Lord had said. Well, he's talking about Isaiah's prophecy. Remember when King Hezekiah was sick and he, you know, he was going to die and then he was healed and the emissaries from Babylon come down and it's a little country at the time and how we just want to see how you're doing and brought you some, you know, fruit basket and entermans. Um, and, <laughs> and so, uh, so he shows them everything. And Isaiah comes in and says, what did you show him? Everything. <laughs> and Isaiah says, then behold, the days are coming, said Isaiah, Second Kings 20, verse 17. When all this, when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says Yahweh. And, and now we're seeing it in verse 13, that prophecy now fulfilled. So as many prophecies as there are that are not fulfilled yet, there are many in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. Even not talking about messianic prophecies, just other prophecies concerning God's people and, and God's enemies. Verse 14 also, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. Now, I don't know. I've met a few smiths. So anyway, <laughs> none remained except the poorest people of the land. And so he's breaking their ability to rebel um, the, and just... Uh, that that's, Ezekiel is in this, this number, incidentally. Verse 15, And he carried Jehoiachin captive to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officers, and the mighty of the land he carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And, you know, as we look at Daniel, what they did, we have no reason to believe that all of this was harsh, though they, when, when Zedekiah gets taken away, it's harsh. Uh, they will kill his sons in front of him, and they will blind him. Uh, so let's not think that, oh, you know, this isn't so bad. Three meals, you know, no room, board to pay. No, it's it's still not good. Um, when he is released from jail 37 years later, there is no Jerusalem to go back to. Verse 16 now, all the valiant men, 7,000, and crafts, craftsmen and smiths, <laughs> it sounds like the neighbors, the craftsmen and the smiths are coming over tonight. <laughs> 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war, these the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Uh, verse 17, then the king of Babylon made Mathaniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his place, and change his name to Zedekiah. I mean, it's kind of rude. I don't like that name. You're going to be Zedekiah from now on. <laughs> Not, some of that is happening. Anyhow, Zedekiah, very unlikable. Not as uh, violent as Jehoiachin and Kim, although Chin didn't get enough time to do his dirt. Three months didn't work out well. This is a display of ownership by changing his name. And uh, instead of the gift from the Lord, now the Lord is my righteousness. And he said, are you kidding me? There's nothing righteous about this guy. 
Very sad story because when you're reading the prophecies of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is that close several times to escaping persecution. And Zedekiah is the one that can get him, make him safe. And he doesn't because he's more afraid of his counselors. And, you know, and Jeremiah suffers for it. Verse 18, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. You know, certainly not the Jeremiah the prophet. So he has an 11-year reign. Um, I don't think there's really much more to comment about him. Uh, 11 years he has interaction with Babylon until finally he, he messes it. He, he's going to seek help from Egypt too, and that's what's going to get him in trouble. Verse 19 he also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. Now, Jehoiakim's his grandfather. I mean, brother, pardon me, his brother. Uh, Jehoiakim and Shin, those are his brothers. Verse 20, for because of the anger of Yahweh, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out from his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And we'll get that, of course, next session. His rebellion was a great offense because he swore to Nebuchadnezzar by Yahweh. I am going to be playing by the rules, and he does not. And it was a big mistake, and, and he, will, he will die for it. Second Chronicles 36, As Yahweh, God of their fathers, sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. You can say to someone you're sharing the gospel with, listen, my sharing the gospel with you is God having compassion on you. Uh, what are you going to do with it? The prophets weren't joking. Neither were the apostles. And all that they wrote, it's not a joke. The judgments, the prophecies to come, it, they're, they're very serious. Let the earth be warned. Uh, that's the gospel message. Let's pray. Our Father... Uh, this evening, as we consider just more lessons from you, and especially during this holiday season when we may be around more believers who may not be knowledgeable in the Word, maybe there are believers who are, and that will lend for good conversation and fellowship. But there will also be unbelievers. Oh, Lord, we pray in advance that you would prepare the hearts of those who do not believe to be open to receive and that you would prepare the hearts of believers to be ready to pounce on Satan's work with the truth and the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask that you get us all home safely tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.